Good morning, and thank you for joining Neartown Church Online today. My name is Jake Porter, and I'm one of the mission partners here at Neartown. I'm so excited to share this next message in our current series, Visible. Based on one of Jesus' most famous sermons recorded in the Bible, the Sermon on the Mount, this series is about how Christians are called to be the visible expression of God's kingdom. Toward the beginning of his sermon, Jesus said this, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus' followers are called to be visible, to shine so that others see their lives and turn to God with all gratitude and praise. But there's a very delicate balance here. There's a fine line to walk. And the, this portion of Jesus' message that we're considering this morning, Matthew 6, 1 through 4, shows us that Jesus saw the delicate balance and wanted to warn us in light of it. In these four verses, Jesus says two things. In verse 1, he articulates a major principle for his people to live by. And then in verses 2 through 4, he applies that principle to the subject of giving. So the main point of this passage is something like this. Give for God, not for show. So turn with me to Matthew 6.1. Now what Jesus has been outlining, uh, what it looks like for his followers to live out the ethics of his kingdom so that others see and give glory to God. And then he issues this warning. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Do you see the fine line here, the delicate balance? Mere moments after commanding that we let our light shine before men, Jesus tells us to beware of others seeing us living out his commands. But let's be very clear about what Jesus is saying. The problem is not being seen by others. No, the problem is practicing righteousness in order to be seen by others. So the first main takeaway from our passage this morning is this. Motive matters to God. God isn't this cosmic taskmaker who we just need to appease by checking off items from a divine to-do list. God is as interested in our why we do something as he is in the what we do. Doing the right thing for the wrong reason is a real danger that we face. And for those who are followers of Jesus, it's really easy to fall into this trap, especially in an age driven by the number of likes or followers we get on social media. I'm going to be real. I've gotten sucked into this before. I want to get the picture of the open Bible atop the leather-bound journal right next to the perfectly placed coffee mug for my Instagram post. Why? Am I hoping to point people to the Word of God, or am I hoping to manage their perception of me for my own benefit? This isn't anything new, though. One Bible teacher centuries ago, writing on this passage, said this, a very necessary admonition. This in all virtues, the entrance of ambition is to be dreaded. In other words, when I'm setting out to be someone of a certain character, ambition for personal gain is a threat to undermine the authenticity of that character. I'm at risk of becoming someone whose inside is incongruent with my outside, a poser who appears to have one set of priorities, but is actually using that image in service to ulterior priorities. Our motives matter to God. And over the next several sections, which will be covered over the next few weeks, Jesus applies this principle to several of the things that he expects his people to be doing, giving, prayer, and fasting. And today we're going to hone in on the first application that he makes on giving. So now let's read verse 2. He says, thus, 
when you give to the needy. And okay, let's stop right there. Here's the second major takeaway from the message. Giving is a given. Giving is a given. Jesus, addressing those who consider themselves his followers, doesn't say, if you want to give some money to those in need. He doesn't say, if you feel me calling you to care for the poor. No, what he says is, when you give to the needy. For the Jesus follower, giving is an expectation, not an option. We are called to give, and I want to be very specific. I do not want to misrepresent what Jesus is saying here. This is not saying to give to a church or to a ministry. This isn't a command to tithe. Jesus is very, very clear on what he's speaking of here, giving to the poor. Now, I'm very grateful that here at Neartown Church, our leadership knows that this is meant to be a priority of the Jesus-following heart. And so Neartown actually distributes a significant portion of the funds that are donated to the church to groups outside the church who are doing just that sort of work in areas of our city that are in need. So I can tell you that I feel confident that when I give to my church, I'm fulfilling this expectation in one way. And then sometimes my wife and I feel called to give more to the poor through one particular avenue or another. But it's very clear to me and to anyone else attempting to honestly read the Bible that giving is a given. So I'm just going to ask you, do you give? Are you in some way giving to those who have less than you have? Because if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus and you're not giving for his kingdom's sake, which is done when we take care of those in need, you need to take a real honest look at the quality of your followership. The Bible says this in James 1.27, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Back when James wrote that, orphans and widows were the most vulnerable of society. Still today, it should be a given that the followers of Jesus are looking out for the most vulnerable among us, those who do not have the resources or the power we have. We are to use the resources and power entrusted to us for their good, to help lift them up and provide for their needs. And if you're one considering the Christian faith, still deciding where you stand on Jesus, let me tell you plainly, if you want to follow Jesus, Radical generosity is what will be expected. You will be called upon to give to others. You giving will be a given. But let me also tell you with absolute clarity why Jesus can be so bold to just assume that his followers will accept that giving is a given. It's said pretty clearly in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians in a section where he's calling on Christians to give to the poor. He writes this, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. You see, I can never outgive Jesus. The Bible says he left the glories of heaven to come to earth and take on flesh to live a righteous, perfect life that I could never live. And then he died on the cross, the death that I deserve in my place so that I could live by trusting in him. He gave it all, he who was rich in glory for me, poor in my sin. The debt I owed for all the ways I've done wrong in my life, he paid with his life, and then he rose again so that he could reign as my Savior and Lord. So if he tells me to give, I'm going to give. God's people are givers because he is the ultimate giver. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish perish 
but have everlasting life. So let's review. First, your motive matters to God. Second, giving is a given. So the third and final takeaway from the passage is this. We choose our reward. Let's see how Jesus applies the principle that motive matters to God in giving. Look with me again at verse 2. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your right hand know what your left hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So a hypocrite isn't just someone who acts righteous at one time but is doing something really horribly immoral at another. Here Jesus uses the word for someone doing something that appears righteous for the wrong reasons, specifically for the praise of other people. I want to point out again, the problem isn't that others know if I give. It is a problem only when, in addition to my giving, I do other things to make sure they know that I gave. I want to get real specific for us in this social media age. What about an online fundraiser? Let's say it's someone's birthday and they're raising money on Facebook for a really worthy cause and I'm going to give. So I go to make a donation and then it asks me, do I want to remain anonymous or do I want to post my donation to their wall? What's the right thing to do? Well, I'd say this is where being a Jesus follower gets really messy. The Bible answers that question with another question. Well, Jake, why do you want to post it? If I honestly believe in my heart that others seeing this gift will encourage them to give too, great, make it public. But if what I want to do is post it so that others go, wow, he's so generous. Wow, what an impressive gift. Wow, they must be loaded. Wow, they're so selfless. Nope, that won't fly with God. If that's why you do it, Jesus said, you just got your reward. If you give for the praise of people, that's all you get nothing more. But there is an alternative. Let's look again at verses three and four. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. When I was growing up, my dad owned several small businesses, and I watched him care for the people who worked for him. I watched them go above and beyond, meeting needs, lifting them up, giving, giving, giving. And when I would see him doing this and ask him about it, often when I was very young, he would only say back to me, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. He's going to be mad I even shared this story. You see, right here in the middle of this sermon series called Visible, we find a command to try to be invisible. Now again, I don't think this is literal. Someone will always know you gave. The recipient, the credit card company, the bank, whatever. Remember the main principle Jesus is applying here. Your motive matters. This is about your intended audience. Who are you doing this good thing for? Do you think about that? Do you ever think about others watching you as you make your way through life day by day? I have a side job teaching at a seminary here in Houston in their graduate counseling programs. And one of my favorite courses to teach is human growth and development. What I enjoy about teaching this course is that it walks through the entire lifespan from, from birth into the twilight years, showing how humans change and grow and are shaped by genetics and experiences and relationships and more. 
Among my favorite lectures to give in that course is the one on adolescent brain development. You see, the adolescent brain is going through a lot of changes, really maturing in some critical ways. So for example, they develop the ability to do something called metacognition, which is to say that they don't just think or feel, but they start thinking about thinking and feeling about feeling. Prior to this point, children largely just think and act, but with these developments, suddenly there's a depth and reflection about the self and all that's going on inside the self. And so in other words, adolescents really start gaining the ability to turn inward and, and some fall into this deep self-consciousness, thinking and feeling about their internal experience of thinking and feeling. But you see, not all the parts of the brain are developing at the same rate. And at this point, while metacognition is coming online, the prefrontal cortex is still underdeveloped. That's the part of the brain that's responsible for things like impulse control, perspective taking, and empathy. So put this together, you've got this sudden depth of awareness about themselves and their own experience, but they lack a corresponding depth of seeing from the point of view of other people. And together these create what textbooks call the imaginary audience. In other words, the teenager often thinks that everyone is thinking about them as much as they are thinking about themselves. This is why they change their clothes a dozen times before school, even though they'll look just like all their peers no matter which choice they make. The experience of the invisible audience is a normal phase of development that we eventually are supposed to outgrow. It's actually an important part of personality formation. Eventually we realize that others just aren't paying as much attention to us as we're paying to ourselves. But what if I told you that there is a such thing as the invisible audience? What if there really are eyes that are always on us, taking in everything we do? And what if I told you that these eyes didn't just see your external behavior and disposition, but actually also knew that depth of experience of thought and emotion going on within us? What if this watcher actually knows us and our experiences even better than we know ourselves? Jesus said there is a father who sees in secret. And he's a good father who loves to catch his children in the act of doing good. He's a good father who loves to give good gifts to his children. And when we give for the sake of his kingdom to make him visible and not ourselves, he sees, he knows, and he rewards with the riches of his kingdom, which we are promised to inherit, not through our works, but through faith in Jesus. So when I'm in the moment of doing what I'm called to do, and give to those who are in need. I get to decide which reward I want most, the praise of man or of God, the treasures of earth or of heaven. In light of this passage, I want to call us all to action. First, if you're a Christ follower, here's my call of action to you. Give. Either start giving or keep giving. If you already give, push yourself to give more. I want to always give more year over year than I gave before if I'm able. Then do a heart check as you give. Here's what I came up with as a specific action that we could all take. In the next seven days, think of one thing, one luxury, something that fulfills a want rather than a need. A meal out, fancy coffee, mani-pedi round of golf, eight-piece nugget meal. Forgo it and give the money you'd put toward that to the needy in some way. Do it in secret. Tell no one except maybe your spouse if you're married and feel the joy of giving that only God sees. Feel it and tell me if it doesn't bless your soul. Second, I want to say to anyone who is not a follower of Jesus, 
have you considered the reality of the invisible audience? That there really are always eyes on you? Eyes that see into you deeper than you see yourself? God sees you, and what I want to say to you is that he is not looking with harsh condemnation, but with longing. The Bible says he longs for all to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to speak on his behalf and say to you that he is inviting you right here and right now to come to the Father through him, not through your own perfection or worthiness, but through the way he made when he gave himself for us, when he died in the place of sinners, paying the debt for their sins. This message has been about giving. Jesus gave his life for those who need forgiveness, newness, and abundant life. I invite you to give your life to the one who gave his life for you and follow him to become a radical giver for the kingdom of God in Jesus' name. Can I pray? Father, thank you for giving us the gift of your son. Thank you for paying the debt of our sin. And so that, Lord, when, when we come to your command to give, we know it is not to earn our salvation, to earn forgiveness, to earn your favor, but it is a delight in getting to partner with you, that you call us to be a part of your kingdom and making your kingdom known on earth that we get to be the very hands and feet of Christ. So Lord, I do pray that you would make each one of us who has heard this word this morning to become more like Jesus, the ultimate giver, as we seek to do your will, give to the poor, and make your kingdom known throughout this world. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.